Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Latin on the Fleming Foundation. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Thomas Fleming. Dr. Fleming, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure as always. We're going to continue part two of our two-part mini-series as we switch formats from our longer Latin episodes in the beginning of our series to shorter ones. Dr. Fleming, today we want to talk about uh, another case. So last episode, uh, you had us uh, look at some ablatives, supine. We looked at fourth declension. What would you like to talk about today? Today we're going to talk about uh, the accusative case, and uh, and we're going to continue a little bit uh, uh, with some of the text that we had been using, that is the text from Eutropius, and maybe even from the St. Michael prayer, that we can use, that we can mine those texts for some examples. So, the accusative case. If I were to ask most Latin students what the accusative case is, the case, you, what is it used for? You know, because they say, you say nominative case, oh, that's the subject. Genitive case, possession. And, of course, that's a trick because that's not really what the genitive case is. So, Stephen, if I were to ask you when you were a student, you know the answer now, of course, what, what would you have said? What's the accusative case used for? The accusative case is for direct objects, Dr. Fleming. Right. It's just like the dative case is for indirect objects. Now, there's nothing wrong in teaching bonehead Latin. It's necessary. But <laughs> for, uh, for adults or for people who are going to teach their children, uh, you know, we, as adults, we can no longer just memorize stray information the way, the way we could when we were 12. Even, even by the age of 20, it's harder and harder. So uh, understanding is what the grown-up mind does best. Hence, I like to give my sort of philosophy, the metaphysics of, of uh, cases in Latin and Greek. There is a, there's, a, there's a broader logic of the accusative case. The accusative case is used to limit the extent or, uh, or operation of an action. I'll repeat that. The accusative case is used to limit the extent or operation of an action. Now, the genitive case, remember, was used most broadly when one noun is limiting the, the extent of another noun. You could say the book, right? Well, what kind of book? Well, you can use an adjective, like the green book, but, but what if you say John's book, the book of John? That could be either the book belonging to John or the book written by John, or a book about John even. All of those are possible because the genitive case is used to limit the meaning or extent of application of a noun. But the accusative case is, is uh, used to limit the, uh, the extent or operation of a verb. And there are three basic areas in which this, this, can, be, this, can, be, this can be done. Uh, place to which. All right. There's the ablative of place where, for example, uh, like in urbe, in the city. But the accusative says to which or into which, so ad urbem, to the city, or in urbem, into the city. So, the simplest use, 
so I am going. Where am I going? It's, it's infinite, right? So I'm going in urbem, into the city. It limits the range of, of possible uh, actions that, that, my, that, that I can undertake. Secondly, and this is also geographical, it can, it can indicate the extent of space that an action or a motion is, is taking place or the duration of time. So in English, we can say, I'm going. That's un, 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 unlimited, right? Or I can, you can, we've already said, I can, I'm going to the city. That's the, that's the destination. Well, what about I'm traveling for three days? You see, for three days, which would be a Latin accusative, for three days indicates, uh, well, it, lim it limits my, 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 my travel. It's no longer, I can be traveling anywhere from one second to a million years. No, I'm traveling for three days, or I'm traveling for six miles. See, it lim that limits us geographically, so space and time. And finally, uh, it'll come as a relief, uh, it, it uses, it limits the operation of a verb by saying what the object of a, of a transitive, that is, of a verb of action, is. So let's, um, um, we, can, we can look a little bit at this. Um, I'm going, we've said like eo, or I'm coming, venio, or venio. Uh, this is, these are unlimited, infinite possibilities. But when you add, the, uh, for example, romam in the accusative case, because city names don't even use a preposition. City names don't. We'll, we'll, we'll take that up later. But romam or ad opidum, that gives us our destination. Or, eo, I'm going, quinque milia passuum. Notice that. Pasuum, pasus, uh, the, the word for step or pace. Um, but again, again, by the way, from a, from a verb, patior, uh, to, to, to step. So, quinque milia pasum, the, the, the extent of space, or sex dies, I am going or traveling or coming for six days. Okay, these all limit the verb. So, there's also um, uh, an accusative that expresses the result of an action. This is a fairly advanced piece of grammar. So, rumpunt, they are breaking vocem, vocem, voice, meaning they're, uh, they're uh, speaking. That is, they're breaking so as to that a, a voice is the result of it. But that's, that's pretty tricky. Now, for direct object, we say Marcus is in love. Marcus loves. Marcus Amat. Now, if he's the operatic Don Giovanni, this is a fairly unlimited love. I mean, it's an infinite number of possibilities. But if we want to limit whom Marcus loves, what is the object of his love, then we put in a noun or pronoun in the accusative case. Tres puelas. Tres poelas, Marcus Amat. Marcus loves, in this case, just three girls. Well, he's still quite an ambitious lad. He's quite an ambitious, yes. He's a young man. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, in, in springtime, etc. 
Now, <clears throat> there are um, many prepositions required, uh, are followed by the accusative case. Now, <clears throat> just as there are many prepositions that have the ablative, and there is a, a significant group of prepositions that can have either. And, and it's, the, it's the logic of the case that determines how the preposition is used. But I've probably said this before, but I'll say it again. Prepositions in the history of European languages, prepositions are a comparatively late development. In the early stages of a language, the preposition, you know, we say, oh, the preposition in takes either the accusative or ablative case, or the preposition odd to takes the uh, case, you know, which requires. Really, uh, what's originally what's going on is that the cases themselves, the case forms of the nouns, are determining how the meaning. So, in a few cases in Latin, it, uh, this doesn't change. City names and small islands. Uh, so, I'm going to Rome. Uh, Romam eo, not ad Romam. But the prepositions are originally adverbs that clarify and specify the meaning. So, because there's a difference between going to a city that is, an into a city, or up to a city. So whether you use in, odd, sub, etc., uh, this, this is determined by what becomes a preposition. But originally, the, the basic meaning is determined by the case form, whether ablative or dative, and, the, uh, and whereas the preposition is just an adverb that helps to clarify that. Eventually, both in Greek and Latin and other languages, eventually we come to rely more and more heavily on the preposition and we think of it as being, as dominating, that the preposition requires the case. Uh, in English, of course, we're very heavy on prepositions because we don't have any cases, basically, we, except, for, uh, except for the prepositions and the uh, plural form. We don't have cases. But whereas in, uh, in Greek and Latin and, uh, and modern Slavic languages and to some extent German, uh, they, still have, uh, they still have cases and the prepositions are not quite so important. So prepositions that, as they say in class, take the accusative usually fall, it's not always obvious, but they fall into these three classes of usage. That is place to which extent of time, extent of space or duration of space, or the object of an action. So for motion toward, motion toward, we have uh, odd, to, in, into, sub, up to. But we also have juxta, next to, ante, uh, before, per, through, or across, erga. So we've got a toward, we ha so we have uh, uh, a variety of prepositions that are followed by a noun, usually a noun or sometimes a pronoun, in the accusative case expressing motion toward. For duration of time, we have post, after, uh, so post 
tres dias, after three days, um, a pair through or across, so across a certain period of time. Now, sometimes these, uh, it's not always perfectly clear uh, because words, uh, these, these, uh, these prepositions can begin as something rather physically graphic and they end up taking uh, more and more sort of metaphorical or extended meanings. So a word like ob, ob, in origin, it seems to express either in uh, action or in position something like in the face of. So it, in used, it, it was often used to, uh, with a verb of motion, uh, went up to meet somebody. And, and there are still plenty of uses in Latin uh, like that. But um, later on, it also means on account of, like propter. And propter originally means near to. So these, these, as, as the language evolves, the, the, the simple origin of the preposition expressing place or time, etc., it, it, it can be obscured in some of these cases, but really, uh, historically, you can, you, can, you can track it down. And um, one of, there's, a, there's a strange sort of uh, usage where uh, with you, ha you could take a, an intransitive verb. An intransitive verb is a verb that doesn't take a direct object, um, and uh, it's, usually, it's often a verb of motion, like a, the verb uh, ire, to go, stare, to stand, gradior, to take a step. But if you add a certain, certain uh, uh, prefix from a preposition, like ob, uh, it can then become a transitive verb. So, for example, gradior, gradior to take a step, ad gradior, it gets a little weaker, ad gradior, to take a step towards or t in the direction of something can therefore mean to make an attack. So we get our word aggression. Pri sto to stand or cause to stand, uh, pri uh, in 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 the in the direction of, you know, then can mean to 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 offer to 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 uh, to, to make a presentation. So these verbs, uh, these these verbs, that is a non an intransitive verb, a verb that doesn't take a direct object, if it has certain prepos uh, prepositional prefixes, can learn to be uh, can be used in uh, in a uh, transitive way. Is that too difficult, Stephen? No, no. I I think the other challenge I was I was mentally noting was some. If you say in and the accusative, it has a different meaning from in with the ablative. Yes. And you have to keep that in mind as you're translating. Yes, exactly. With in, sub, uh, and, and with quite a, quite a, there's a quite a good number of them. And so in, you know, in opidum, uh, well, in opidum, into town, whereas in opido, in town. And so, again, it's not the, pre it's not the preposition that determines the basic meaning, but it is the case form 
itself. That's why it's so important to understand the cases because they, rather than the words used with them, they are determining the basic meaning, whether it's place where or place to which. One thing we can, let's go and look uh, at uh, the text we were talking about earlier. Um, for example, um, and uh, the text of Utropius. We, and the text is in the show notes for listeners who are wanting to follow along. Yeah. So we've got this uh, text about uh, A Romulo Exordium Habet. For it, Rome, the Roman Empire, and of course empire doesn't mean what we, we mean. It means the Roman, we, we, a closer word would be something like the Roman state or the Roman political authority. Uh, has it A Romulo Exordium Habet. It has its origin from Romulus. And what use of the accusative is that? From? Well, exordium, right. It has its origin. Place? No, that's just the uh, direct object. Okay. <laughs> I've been tricking you. Right, well, I'm panicking after you. we've gone through all of these different uses. I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to miss it here, so. Yeah. No, and then later on, post-Troye excidium, after the fall of Troy. See, post-excidium, so this is, uh, this is the, is obviously after the preposition post, expressing an extent of time. So these are two uses, uh, and, and uh, uh, a little bit above that, inter pastores, that is he, Romulus, uh, cum inter pastores latrocinaretur, when he was <laughs> acting as a social predator among the shepherds. In other words, the story was that Romulus had a gang of shepherds. They were running around, you know, playing Robin Hood, except the poor that they were, uh, they were giving to were themselves, uh, which is true of most uh, Robin Hoods. So, again, that's inter, and that's basically place where among the uh, the shepherds and um, decem decem et octo annos natus having been born 10 and 8 years okay that is uh, after it, 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 it's it's an it's really an, ex, an extent of time but it's an, it's a special expression with uh, with the accusative and that, so these are all good he, and he uh, urbem exiguam constituit. He founded a, a tiny city on the Palatine Hill. And so again, direct object. Let's see if we can find any accusatives in the St. Michael prayer. Uh, Sancte Michael Archangele defende nos in proilio. Nos, us. The, uh, the uh, direct object of defende. Contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli, uh, against the wickedness and snares of the devil. So contra uh, preposition place to which against which. Um, and, uh, yes, and you, princeps militiae celestis, you um, detrude. Uh, um, the uh, satanam aliosque spiritus so k 
cast down, thrust down. Actually, it's not even cast. It's you can imagine Saint Michael, you know, with Satan trying to rise up, you know, but, but sort of with his hand or his foot sh- shoving him to, back down into hell where he belongs. So again, direct object for Satram and the Aliosque Spiritus Malignos. And then, qui ad perditione maramarum, who for the ruin of souls, per vagantur in mundo, who for ad expressing purpose, but again, the fundamental idea of ad is a place to which. So when you go to a place, it's usually with getting there is your purpose. So ad is often used for, for expressive purpose. So any um, and in 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 infernum into hell they trude. So any questions on that? Well, I was just reflecting, Doctor Flamini. It, it's uh, for our students who are obviously studying on our own. We've always said that this is not a Latin course, but an introduction to studying Latin. If you've been studying, you're starting to see some of these light up, and it, it hopefully it will be delightful to you as you start to see some of these come together. So I was looking at Satanam Aliosque Spiritus Malignos, and we're seeing first, second, and fourth con- fourth declension playing together with uh, different numbers. So you've got Satanam, and then you've got Alios, Ma- Malignos, and then Spiritus. Um, if I've been paying attention to the declension endings and I've been studying and memorizing them, when I read that, it's not a problem. Yeah. And you have three out of four. <laughs> right. Yes, that's, uh, that's, that's good. And one of the problems with, uh, with early Latin students is they want to say, oh, yeah, uh, the, the uh, adjective noun agreement means that they have the same endings. And you have to say, no, no, no. The, the, the different forms may have different endings, but the endings mean the same thing. That is, in this case, accusative case, first singular and then masculine plural. Alios spiritus, because alios, of course, looks, it's more or less, a, or malignos, second declension, accusative plural, spiritus, second, a fourth declension, accusative plural. It's not... The endings tell you what the case form is, but it's the case that's important, the case and number, and not the actual ending. And I suppose the other observation is, Dr. Fleming, as a as an unreconstructed, intransigent Latin mass guy, I have to note that the, the Latin prayer always sounds better than the English prayer. Yes, well, you know, it is very hard to uh, like, uh, to, to, to read... It takes, it takes a master to write a beautiful song in English or, uh, or a beautiful poem, whereas uh, in the Romance languages, Latin and, in Latin and French, and I'm uh, sorry, Latin and uh, Italian and French and, and, and Latin, they're much more mellifluous languages, and it is very hard. You know, how many great opera librettos are there in English? I mean, singable. And the answer is, G. W. S. Gilbert is the beginning and the end. That is uh, the the uh, of the team Gilbert and Sullivan. He could actually write lyrics that can be sung. Otherwise, it's quite difficult. And and uh, a lot of great poetry in English is not very singable if you set it to music. There are there are poets who write good songs like uh, Tom Moore, the friend of uh, Byron, or Thomas Campion uh, in the in Shakespeare's time, and and some of Shakespeare's songs, but. Really, um, the uh, English, 
English requires quite a lot, whereas you can be a mediocre Latinist and write a prayer that sounds good. But also, it's, hard, it's so much harder to write baloney in Latin. There is some, there is some Renaissance baloney, but this is what Evelyn Waugh said. It, the, at the end of um, his uh, memoir, A Little Learning, and uh, people say, gee, this book, it's supposed to be Waugh's early life, but it's got so much, so much about classics in it. And in fact, he ends the book by saying, well, what had I learned? You know, he was like 21 years old when he tries to commit suicide by going into the, into walking into the ocean. And there's some nasty thing rubs against him and he says, ew, I don't like this. And he decides he'll get out of the ocean and, and go back to life. But uh, he says, well... You know, he had, uh, he, in the, by 20 years later, he had forgotten a lot of his Latin, and he could barely decipher a tombstone inscription, uh, and he could read, and he got rid of all his Greek virtually. Now, he's exaggerating, grotesquely. But what he said is, I learned that words have meaning, specific meaning, and that if I had written something, the test of whether it meant anything was, could it be translated into Latin? Now, that's a very big lesson for Watt to have learned. That is, that you, you can't write meaningless schlock in Latin. You can't write the speeches of Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, or George W. Bush. They can't be translated into Latin because they don't say anything. Not just the overall meaning, but just word by word. If you listen to the news, you listen to National Public Radio or tune on NBC, these people aren't speaking any known language. Their words, their words are just sort of impressions, vague things that they that they mush together, and there is no coherent meaning. You can't you can't translate it to any other language. So that's one of the things Latin teaches you. Well, moving right along, this is the point at which we take up verbs, and we last time. Uh, the last time we took up verbs, we took up regular third conjugation verbs like duco and rego. These are verbs defined. These verbs are defined as all verbs which have an infinitive in short ere. So ducere, reg, reggere, or reggere, etc. Um, there is a subclass, however of uh, Latin verbs, of the third conjugation, and this subclass of verbs has, in the present system, has an I in the stem, which doesn't show up everywhere because it gets amalgamated with, an, with sometimes, with, with a, another I. Now, what, how, Stephen, do we derive the present stem of a verb? You take the infinitive and lose the re. Right, exactly. It can't, can't be said often enough. You go to the infinitive, whether it's amare, monere, or uh, ducere, and you drop the re. So that gives you ama, uh, mone, duque, or duce. And uh, although that has an odd ring, duce. And, and in the case of verbs like Capio capere, facio facere, it's simply cape, facce. So these verbs, even though they have an I uh, that, that pops up, they have an I, 
the basic stem uh, does not. And, and the, this eccentricity of the eye that shows up usually before a broad vowel. And what are the broad vowels? O, A, and U. So before, so let's, let's look at capio, the present tense of capio. What, um, it's capio, and Stephen, you may join me. Capio, capis, capit, capimos, capitis, capiunt. You see, so before O, before O, A, and U, and the, we'll see the A in, uh, in uh, a, a future form and in a subjunctive, like capiam. So before O, A, and U, we keep the I, and actually before, before, before the E, but we lose it before, before, before another I. So capio, capis, uh, capit, capimus, capitis, capiunt. So this, uh, this I uh, persists in the uh, imperfect tense. So, uh, so we have capiabam, not just a duque bomb, and uh, and in and uh, and in the future. But we'll talk more about these uh, about the other tenses of the uh, th uh, third and fourth conjugations uh, later on. But so the, these these I stem verbs are are and there are many of them that are very important. Capio to take, facio to do. They're 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 among the most irregular verbs in. Uh, they're regularly irregular, and because they sometimes look like third conjugation verbs, but there is a fourth conjugation which we'll take up next time. A fourth conjugation where where the infinitive is ire. So those are purely I stem verbs, and so this 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 group of verbs is a sort of intermediate. Any questions? No, I, and this might be a good place for us to wrap up today's episode, Dr. Fleming? Yeah, I think we should wrap up. I will just say one, one more thing, and that is uh, we usually try to throw in a little bit about Latin and English, and this is just a general observation about English, English words derived from Latin verbs. We either take them from the fourth principal part... Or we take them, or we take them from the the first principal part. So we get we get words like from the verb uh, componere to put together. We can get it component from the from the uh, from the present tense in the present participle, or composition from the fourth principal part. But we'll go into that into the intricacies of that next time. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that, listeners. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email thomas at fleming.foundation. We want to remind you that Latin is a production of the Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to james at fleming.foundation. As always, thanks to our Golden Charter members, who we produce these contents for and who ensure that they can be produced in the first place. I want to thank Dr. Fleming for his time. And until next episode, on behalf of the Foundation, make the most of a dark age.